0: hello listeners hello my name is andrew
1: and i'm rachel
0: mercury is currently laying behind us on the couch mm-hmm. and this is limetown
1: no it's not
0: what is it it's
1: armchair apocrypha
0: that's right this is armchair apocrypha <laughs> one
1: of these days i should say it
0: wrong too <laughs> uh this is the podcast where um armchair experts tell possibly true stories uh you may have noticed we have a new um Intro and outro. Ah, uh, yes. One of my friends sent it to me. It is computer generated. Um, that's really all I know Secrets. about it. Uh, if you're wondering how it's pronounced, I think it's called Pojabrad. Okay. It's a city in Poland. Um sure. So yeah, our new intro, outro, Pojabrad. Um, Rachel is a little bit tired because she just got off work. I'm a yeah. little bit tired because I just got uh, done eating a whole load of Chinese food (laughs) um and that does make you tired um and so that's kind of where we're at today Mm -hmm. uh but this will be the first uh first episode of the year so oh my gosh it's been a while yeah I know
1: happy to 2019 may it be better than
0: 2018 2019 cheers Mm. Uh, so how was your week your past two and a half weeks—not
1: the greatest. Not the greatest, but I'm eating healthier. I'm exercising more, yeah. and I think it will actually help in the long run. Good. As as I drink bourbon and <laughs> chocolate, but like all day today, I didn't eat any food at work. Yeah, that's really bad for you. And my like, it's been going well. Yeah. So we'll see how day three goes tomorrow. <laughs>
0: I'll keep my fingers crossed. Thank for you.
1: you. I'll keep you posted.
0: I start my new job on Monday.
1: Yes, that's which
0: exciting. Which I'm really excited about. Um, new year, new us.
1: Yes. Do you have an outfit picked out yet?
0: I do not have an oh outfit my gosh, picked out. I, I already like two outfits out right now. <laughs> I never like pre-make my outfit. So let oh just gosh. wake up and go. No. This looks good. This looks good with that. This looks good with that. Let's go. <laughs> um so today i have a mystery for us
1: oh my gosh yes although is it a murder mystery
0: it is a murder mystery (sighs) yes although um i'm pretty sure everybody knows who did it but we'll uh we'll get to that um shout out to uh atlas obscura for doing most of the research about this (laughs) okay um i don't think we've ever had an episode where we've done an atlas obscura like original story nope So, shout out to Alice Obscura and shout out to Anarchish on Twitter for bringing her up. I had never heard about her before. Uh, Have you ever heard of Doreen Corey? Should I have? I don't know.
1: I mean, I I have. It doesn't sound familiar.
0: Okay. Doreen Corey was a black transgender uh, drag queen and dressmaker. She was, by most, if not all accounts, a witty, unflappable, caring woman who took her role as a veteran drag queen and mentor in the community seriously. All right. In the Harlem drag ball scene, uh, she was a diva, the matriarch of her drag family, the House of Corey. At one point, Corey's act involved her wearing a 30 by 40 foot feather cape. Shut up. Once she shed her costume down to her sequent body stocking, two attendants raised the cape up on poles to produce a feathered tent that covered half the audience.
1: That's.
0: I want to. Do you have pictures? I do not have pictures Ugh. of that, but it's very. Um, what year is this? Or um, time frame? Nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies.
1: Okay.
0: okay. Uh, Corey grew up uh, in uh, Buffalo, New York. Okay. Uh, after studying at Parsons New School for Design, she was toured. Uh, she toured as a snake dancer in the nineteen sixties in the Pearl Box Review. Corey was one of the four performers who appeared on the 1972 Pearl Box Review LP. Call me Mister.
1: Call me Mister.
0: M I S S T R.
1: Miss. Mister. Gotcha.
0: Uh, she held over 50 grand prizes from the Voguing Balls. She was also uh, house mother to Angie Extrav- You got it. Angie Extravaganza, who later became mother of her own house. Um and both Angie Extravaganza and Dorian Corey appeared in the documentary Paris is Burning.
1: Oh yes. I've if I've seen it it's been a really long time.
0: Okay. Um I've never seen it, so I'm I'm not sure how good it is or not.
1: I think it's supposed to be like one of the best documentaries on Netflix. It's consistently on there.
0: I've never seen I trying it. I'm gonna try to like find judge. out
1: what documentaries watch like best yeah. documentaries, that one's like always on there.
0: Good. Okay. Um, so if you've seen that, you've probably seen uh, Doreen Corey. Uh, Corey also ran and designed a clothing label called Corey Design. Okay. So she had all of this stuff. Um, in 1973, Corey died of AIDS-related complications at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center in Manhattan. Where or is not nineteen seventy three. Uh 1993. Um, In October of 1993, just a few months after Corey's death, friend and fellow drag queen Lois Taylor was in Corey's apartment looking for costumes that could be recycled or handed down when she noticed a heavy bag laying in the floor of the closet. It was too heavy to move, so she and a couple other people sliced the bag open with scissors. Uh, She said, I only weigh about 135 pounds. I couldn't lift, lift that thing. Uh, resigning to her powerlessness to find the zipper, uh, Taylor handed a pair of scissors to one of the men, only to learn uh, what the curious mass lacked in portability it made up for in distinct malodor.
1: Oh no, don't say there's a body.
0: Without inspecting further, Taylor called the police. Peeling through multiple layers, first the back's fabric, then taped wrappings of what was likely naga hide, a type of faux leather and plastic, detectives revealed a grisly sight. A partially mummified body in the fetal position, its formerly brown complexion now purple and yellow.
1: Oh my god.
0: Encased within the layers, Detective Raul Figueroa observed, were detachable pool taps from flip-top beer cans, whose prime in the United States ranged from the 1960s to the 1970s. Mm. The body, miraculously identified through fingerprints, which had been mum- mummified, was identified as Robert Bobby Worley, a.k.a. Robert Wells. Uh, his skin had turned a model purple and yellow, his clothes were tattered, mm. and there was a bullet hole in his head.
1: Shut up.
0: Nope. The only extant records from Morley's life were criminal. He had been arrested for raping and assaulting a woman in 1963 and served three years in prison. By most accounts, he was estranged from his family and hadn't been seen since the mid to late 60s. Coupling this with Figaro's pool tab dating method, detectives concluded that the shooting must have happened at least 20 years prior.
1: 20 years ago.
0: 20 years before it was she died.
1: M- mummified 20 years ago?
0: He was killed 20 years ago.
1: Oh. Okay. I'm at least going. 20 years ago. Keep going. So,
0: 1973 to 1993. At least.
1: 1973
0: to 1993? Yeah. It had been at
1: least since Oh yeah, because she died of AIDS in '93. Yes. And that's when they went through. Okay. Yes. Oh. You got it? Yes. Got it. There's been a body in a duffel bag for 20 years
0: uh Naga hide bag but yes whatever Same i'm difference. gonna say <laughs> <bag>. <laughs> um so the first uh the first idea that they had um though this has now fallen out of favor was that Corey was protecting the real murderer
1: this sounds familiar
0: okay it might have been on my favorite murder i haven't heard this episode though
1: i think so but keep going
0: okay so the first idea that they had was that um quarry was protecting the real murderer and just hanging on to the body and between 1880 why
1: not just dump it in a river at one point is all i'm
0: saying well it's new york in a bad part of town probably really crowded probably really busy lots of excuses
1: excuses
0: um in 1988, between the probable time of Worley's and Corey's deaths, Corey moved from her apartment at 150th Street and Saint Nicholas Avenue to one located ten blocks over on West 140th Street. The notion that the body was in the closet before she moved, the hypothesis goes, is more plausible than that of Dorian's lugging a uh, of Dorian's lugging a corpse from one home <laughs> to another. Yes. Um, others maintain more credibly that Worley was a burglar who broke into Corey's home, prompting Corey to act in self-defense. Corey lived in a later 20th-century Harlem, where violent crime ran rampant. Livingston recalled numerous gunfights outside Corey's apartment during the interviews for the film. For her own protection, she presumed uh, she presumably owned a gun. Uh, her friend Jessie Torres affirmed she had a little .22. Uh, Corey had allegedly attached a note to the body reading, this poor man broke into my home and was trying to rob me. Uh, the theory suggests that uh, possible reason for her keeping the body because, was because a black drag queen who lived in a poor, dangerous area in the 60s or 70s had little chance of garnering sympathy from the police. Yeah. Uh, prevailing sentiment, however, the most popular theory, contends that Corey and Worley had a turbulent, romantic relationship that reached a tragic conclusion in a crime of passion. mm According to Taylor, Corey wrote a short third-person story about a trans, uh, transgender woman who killed her lover after he, after he browbeat her into having sex reassignment surgery. Handwritten, handwritten on a piece of paper yellowed with age, the story seemed at least loosely autobiographical. Corey had had breast implants and possibly taken female hormones, and was peppered with references to her life, including the Pearl Box Review, a touring drag show she performed in the, uh, in the 1960s. Additional clues point to this supposition. Torres had relayed that Corey, hospitalized in a haze of AZT and morphine, had confessed to her friend Sally in Corey's final final days. Richard Mailman, whose 2017 play Dorian's Closet explores the story, says that, according to a police interview with Worley's brother, Worley showed up at his brother's house one night drunk, and he was going on and on about Dorian. There was that sort of corroboration that he was in a relationship and did know Dorian. As for the body, Mailman postulates that Corey, fearing disposing of it would be too conspicuous in congested Manhattan, covered it in baking soda and wrapped it tightly to neutralize the inevitable odor. Decades worth of chemical reactions likely rendered an amateur mummification job. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't think she had a criminal mind. She didn't plan to murder him. And when it happened, she had to think fast. In the mind of someone who commits a crime of passion, that kind of thing makes sense. And that's the story of Dorian Corey.
1: Wow. And the body
0: in her closet.
1: Do you have any bodies in your closet?
0: Wouldn't you like to know? I would. <laughs> <laughs> My closet's not big enough for a body. Mm
1: hmm. Mm hmm.
0: What about you, Mercury? You got any bodies?
1: <coughs> he gulped.
0: Got that squirrel over in the, little, the middle of the, uh, the living room floor.
1: Yeah. it's You can't find it anymore. <laughs> it's all gone now. Well, mine's not a gruesome mystery murder. Okay. It has nothing to do with murder.
0: It has nothing to do with murder.
1: Um, mine has to do with this lady named Ida Lupino.
0: Ida Lupino. Yes. Never heard of her.
1: That's all right. Most people haven't. All <laughs> All right. But she's important in my eyes. Okay. Kind of. Not really. <laughs> um, Ida Lupina was born February 4th, uh-huh. 1918. 1918. So over 100 years ago this this yes. point. In Herne Hill, London, to an actress, mother, and a musical hall entertainer father. Her father, who was a top name in the musical comedy in the UK and a member of a centuries-old theater, Theatrical dynasty dating back to the fucking renaissance Italy. Wow. Um, encouraged her to perform at an early age as well. Yeah. Obviously. He built a backyard theater for Lupino and for Ida and her sister Rita, who also became an actress and dancer. Spoiler, she becomes an actress. Um... Lupino. I i'm I keep calling her by her first name. Cause <laughs> Ida. Ida wrote her first play at the age of seven and toured with a traveling theater company as a child. Mm-hmm. By the time she was ten years old, she had memorized the leading female roles in each of Shakespeare's plays.
0: Wow,
1: crazy, right?
0: That's a lot to remember. That
1: is a lot to remember. <laughs> After her intense childhood training for stage plays, Ida's uncle Lupino Lane. I guess assisted her in moving towards film acting by getting her work as a background actor in at the British International Studios. Hmm. It said that she wanted to be a writer, but in order to please her father, Ida enrolled in the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. She went on to excel in a number of, um, they call them <laughs> bad girl film roles, <laughs> often playing prostitutes. Ida did not enjoy being an actress and felt uncomfortable with many of the early roles she was given. I wonder why. Yeah, she felt that she was pushed into the profession due to her family history of going back hundreds of years. Understandably. Yes. Um, Ida worked both as a stage and a screen actress. Okay, do it all. Uh, she first took the stage in 1934 as the lead in *The Pursuit of Happiness*. Um. And she made her first. Uh, film appearance in something called the love race in 1931 okay um at the age of 14 she was dubbed the english Jean harlow which i really like (laughs) (laughs) um she was discovered by paramount like paramount pictures in 1933 oh for the, her, the, uh, for the film Money for Speed, playing a good girl slash bad girl dual role, which I don't even know what that means, and they didn't even have Money for Speed highlighted, so you couldn't even, like, kind of look at... I mean, if I had tried... If I had given two minutes' effort, I probably could have been able to figure it out. Right. But, um... Ida claimed that talent scouts uh, saw her play only the sweet girl in the film and not the part of the prostitute, so she was asked to try out for the lead role in Alice in Wonderland. Um...
0: That's quite a, uh, when a she, different role.
1: Yeah, when she arrived, the Paramount producers didn't know what to make of her sultry potential leading lady. <laughs> uh, but she did get a five year contract. Nice. So, she didn't go in. so, just so you know, Ida starred in over a dozen films in the mid 1930s. as so, is all like she's preteen. I'm working with uh, Columbia Pictures.
0: Columbia. You're sure this isn't a murder mystery?
1: Mm hmm. Okay. I promise. One of which was called The Light That Failed. Was a role she acquired after running into the director's office unannounced, demanding an audition. Which I love those nice. hearing about the story felt, I demand an audition. <laughs> you must listen to me now. And that's how they talked back then. All right. <laughs> um, as her, uh, ch- ch- after this performance in the light that failed, she uh, began to be taken seriously as a dramatic actress. Nice. Um, she got her starring role. Yes, yeah, she did. As a result, her parts improved during the 1940s, and she jokingly referred to herself as the poor man's Betty Davis taking the <laughs> roles that Davis refused, which I love. Um, so here we go. She starred and did very well in several films, and these films were actually hits, so yeah. she's like making money for the studios. Good. No. <laughs> After the drama Deep Valley finished shooting at neither Warner Brothers nor Ida. Um, at this point, she has moved, by the way, to America.
0: Nice. Um, I figured. <laughs> Nor Ida
1: moved point, yeah. to renew her contract, and she left the studio in 1947. Although in demand throughout the 1940s, she never became a major star. So she's just one of those people that always started with really famous people, never became like tabloid sensation of the yeah. time. Excuse me. Cheers. Yes. <clears throat> Um, but she was critically praised for her acting and all that good stuff. Ch-ch-ch. She often incurred the ire, I love this. this is copy cut and paste yeah. of studio boss Jack Warner by objecting to her casting refusing roles that she felt were beneath her dignity as an actress and making script revisions deemed unacceptable. As a result, she spent a great deal of her time at Warner Brothers suspended. <laughs> it's like high school it's like you're suspended but they also don't get paid so it's a little different right um this kind of time hops a little bit but 1942 she rejected an offer to star with ronald reagan good call (laughs) and king's row and was immediately put on suspicion at the studio
0: again Mm -hmm.
1: so why am i talking (laughs) about her
0: why are you talking about her
1: Well, while on suspension, Ida had an ample time to observe filming and editing process, and she became interested in directing. Nice. She described how bored she was on set while someone else seemed to be doing all the interesting work. She and her husband at the time, she was married three times, I won't go into it because it's not important, um, formed an independent film company called The Filmmakers Mm -hmm. to produce, direct, and write low-budget issue-oriented films. Her first directing job came unexpectedly in 1949 when director Elmer Clifton suffered a mild heart attack and could not finish the film Not Wanted, a film that Ida had co-produced and co-written. So Ida stepped in to finish the film but did not take directorial credit out of respect for Elmer. Um, although the film's subject of out of wedlock pregnancy was controversial, it received a vast amount of publicity and she was invited to discuss the film with Eleanor Roosevelt on a national radio program. So here's the reason I'm talking about her is because she's the first, one of the first female directors. Um, so her first actual director's cut feature that she's him credit for that she did was called a movie in 1949 called Never Fear. Never Fear. It's an American drama film.
0: Never about Fear, Mercury.
1: A girl named Carol Williams, who is a beautiful young dancer with a promising career, struck down and crippled with polio. Excuse me, I'm talking.
0: Mercury. <laughs> Are you okay? Mercury.
1: Is he okay? This
0: is so unprofessional. Yeah, shit, shit. You are so unprofessional. I'm talking we about a film fear. called
1: Never Fear. Right. So Never Fear. Right. You done? Carol's dance partner and fiancé, right. Guy Richards, wants to see her through her illness, but Carol struggles with dealing with her recovery and prefers to go it alone. Um... Basically, um, her father takes her to an institute for rehab Mm -hmm. where she meets fellow patients in recovery who are suffering the same thing. One of the patients that inspires Carol is a guy. um, Only by allowing others to share her grief is she able to pull herself and go on with her life. Is he okay?
0: I don't know. I can't tell if he's playing or if he's, like, uncomfortable.
1: After producing four more films about social issues including a movie called Outrage, a film about rape. Ida directed her first hard-paced all-male cast called A Hitchhiker, making her the first woman to direct a film noir. Okay. The filmmakers went on to produce 12 feature films, six of which Ida directed or co-directed, five of which she wrote or co-wrote, and three of which she acted in, and one which she co-produced. Badass. Um,
0: Making bills.
1: The filmmaker's goal was to tell how America lives through independent B-picture shots uh, B-picture shot in two weeks for less than $200,000 at the time Mm -hmm. with a creative family um, ringing uh, the ring of truth emphasized by fact-based stories, most of them like I said, co-written by um, Young or Ida. Uh, She says, I suppose we were the new wave at the time Reflecting on the filmmaker's low-budget versatility extended to personal complicity and fresh faces. They didn't use the same actors over and over again.
0: That's usually a good call.
1: Yeah. Ida once called herself a bulldozer to secure financing for her production company, but she referred to herself as a mother while on set. On set, the back of the her director's chair was labeled Mother of Us
0: All. That's not edible at all. Huh? It's not edible at all.
1: (laughs) Her studio emphasized her femininity, often at the urging of Ida herself. Um, Apparently, she said, keeping a feminine approach is vital. Men hate bossy females. Whatever. Who cares? Um, (laughs) She explained, you do not tell a man you suggest to him. (laughs) Darling, mother has a problem. I'd love to do this. Can you do it? It sounds kooky. I know. But can you do this for Mother? And they do it.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) If it works, I guess.
1: Although directing was Ida's passion, the drive for money kept her on camera so she could acquire the funds to make her own productions, because that's how it works in the real world. Yeah. She became a wildly low budget filmmaker, reusing sets from other studio productions and talking her physician into appearing as a doctor in the delivery scene of Not Wanted.
0: So she got her physician to play, to play. the doctor. Yeah.
1: Nice. Isn't that awesome? She used what is now called product placement, placing Coke, Cadillac, and other brands in her film she saw in public places to avoid set rental costs and planned scenes in pre-production to avoid technical mistakes and retakes. She joked that if she had been the poor man's Betty Davis as an actor, she now became the poor man's Don Siegel as a director. <laughs> um the filmmakers production company though did close up in 1955 and ida's last director director's credit on a feature film was in 1965 for a catholic schoolgirl comedy called the trouble with angels which i've heard of that yeah yeah um starring Haley mills and rosalind russell she didn't stop acting or directing, however, going to a successful television career throughout the 60s and 70s. kind um, it kind of wraps up there, but I'll say that Ida continued acting until the 1970s. Her directing efforts during these years were almost exclusive for television production. She did one of Alfred Hitchcock's Presents, or one, several of Alfred Hitchcock's Presents, or one, I can't remember. The Twilight Zone, uh, The Donna Reed Showed, Gilligan's Island, 77 Sunset Strip, um, the Untouchables, Hong Kong, Bewitched, like, some things you've heard of. Yeah. She has two distinctions with the Twilight Zone series. As as the only woman to have directed an episode, it's the episode called The Masks, which okay. you'll have to watch, and the only person to have worked as both actress, uncredited, as it, and as a director in an episode. So, in the 16mm Shrine, she's an actress, uncredited, and she's the director. Okay. Um, it doesn't say who she is. I'm guessing she's just the background character or something. Um, Lupino made her final film appearance in 1978 and retired from the entertainment business at the age of 60. However, she lived for another 17 years. She died from a stroke while undergoing treatment for colon cancer in Los Angeles in 1995. They do say that she kind of became, one of the horrible ways they put it was she came almost like Betty Davis' character on Sunset Boulevard, she was really reclusive Mm -hmm. in her last, like, 10 or 15 years of life, but I feel like it's really creepy as a lot of, well, female, mostly actresses at that time were very much like that. Right. Never went out or anything and kind of kept to themselves. I forgot to put on here that a significance why she was probably produced and helped direct um but really produced the movie uh the first movie that she did not wanted or one of the films she did oh, crap i thought i put it on here it had to do it was like it had to do with uh, someone suffering from polio oh it was the um never fear her first direct debut yeah Never fear about a girl who suffers polio, and she actually suffered from polio when she was young, or or when she first started in film, and that actually hindered her from doing a lot of work because she had to recuperate and stuff. So she did do a lot of things that were close to heart. Um, I just think it's really cool that, you know, you don't really know much about her because they don't say things about her. But I love that she started her own production company and things like that and then got to do that. So that was kind of cool to shine a light on her
0: it's cool
1: and that's all I got about Ida
0: <laughs> Ida Ida Lupino sounds like a fake name
1: it sounds like an actress in the 1920s yeah. you know what I mean like what's his name Victor or whatever
0: I don't know what you're talking about
1: alright, don't worry he was like a silent film star and then he became he was kind of in talkies but not as much mm-hmm. It was like the heartthrob. And then when you kind of heard him talk, you're like, ugh. Okay. I'll think of him. Don't okay. worry.
0: Okay. I believe you.
1: Um, but, yeah, I thought she was pretty cool. Yeah. I went through it really fast, <laughs> I know, but I was trying, trying real hard.
0: Oh, that was a really cool story.
1: I want... What will my first director, directorial debut be about
0: dog named freddie mercury
1: no it's gonna i was gonna (laughs) say it's gonna be some kind of world war two nostalgia yeah let's be honest (laughs) it will be about the lady that i did although they've written a play about it but i don't care
0: the one who did the names in the bottles. yeah and
1: they already made like the lifetime movie or whatever made for tv movie yeah but i can do it
0: yeah we'll do it
1: do my own version we'll
0: do it we'll get funding from netflix yeah it'll be great
1: it will be grand Want it? Yes, I will. <laughs> but that's Ida Lupino in a nutshell. Awesome. I didn't really go on to talk about her personal life because there really wasn't much to it.
0: Well, you said that she was kind of private, so.
1: Well, at the end, yeah. yeah. Um, married and divorced three times. She did have one child. And I think that they were a little bit at ends only because she wanted her child to be in the family business. Yeah. And I guess the girl was like, Nope. <laughs> i wonder why yeah um yeah
0: cool Uh, i think that's all all that we have this week guys um as always thank you for listening um we love you mercury is being so cute over here and i wish that you all could see this (laughs) cute little face just like uh cuddled up next to rachel um as always buy my books You can find them on our website Um We've got I've got some short stories up there If you want to go read those for free um, Katie's got some artwork up there She's open for commissions If you uh, send her an email um, We've got music from um, Mercury what are you doing? We
1: got music <laughs>
0: We've got music, we've got artwork, we've got a puppy in our laps. Um, uh, if you want to become a patron, we are on Patreon at Absinthe Activism Arts. Uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook, our page is AbsintheActivismArts. Activism Arts. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, the uh, at is Absinthe Act Arts, but we never use it, so I don't know why you would want to follow us. Um, <laughs> that's about it
1: sounds good to me
0: cool uh we're gonna get out of here and go uh finish our drinks and then probably go to bed yep um and we will see you guys in two weeks
1: sounds good